Welcome back to the second season of the Sit With Snip podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Sinikovsky. This season is focused explicitly on sitting with singlehood, how to live a meaningful life while still searching for your life partner. We process ideas and topics by engaging in thought-provoking conversations with different speakers. For our ninth episode, we're sitting with one of my favorite Jewish content creators and longtime girl crushes, Barry Mintzman. Barry is a wife, mother, and founder of Hakol Beseder, the nonprofit, where she aims to create content that provides inspiration while meeting people where they're at. In her spare time, she's also a content creator, social media marketing consultant, and the host of the Women of Valor podcast. She happens to also write a weekly email sharing some of her thoughts that remain off of her social media, off the grid, so to speak. I've been following Barry, I think, since she joined social media six years ago. And similar to me, we started both our journeys on Instagram, aiming to aspire to be modest um, fashion bloggers. And while we're still fashionistas, I think we've both pivoted and found kind of our niches and where I think Hashem needs us to be advocating and shedding light on. And she is a huge mental health advocate. She speaks tremendous amounts on her journey and she is also a warrior and an incredible advocate as well for chronic illness. I am just so grateful to have Barry on this podcast and have this podcast be, you know, a building a building block for a relationship together and I'm just so excited to kind of shed light on dating um with mental distress and just taking away any stigma that might arise in your mind when someone talks about mental illness, especially in the realm of dating. So without further ado, are you ready to sit with your mental health with Barry Mintzman? As always, if you enjoy this episode, like it, share the love on social media, reach out to us and share with a friend that you think would benefit. And never forget, it's all lessons and blessings. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sit With Snit podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Snitkovsky. I I've missed you guys. It's been a minute since I've been able to record an episode. I was fighting, you know, like different infections that are just going around, and like I just want to wish everyone who needs one a Rafua Shalema, just like the entire world needs it. But more importantly, I've been wanting to record this episode with Barry for a very long time. I think even before I like even said it to you, Barry, I've been like, I'm manifesting this moment. I'm like, I'm going to do some type of collaborative effort with Barry because it just needs to happen. And like, you're one of my biggest girl crushes on Instagram as a fellow creator. No, it's real. And like, I'm honored to have you on here. So first and foremost, Barry, welcome to the Sit With Snip podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm I'm pumped to be here and I love that you're doing this. I, I really, I really do love it. And I'm just I'm happy that people like you and projects like this exist. Thank you. And I really I feel the same way about you. And um Barry's been creating amazing content, being, you know, a mental health advocate in the space um, now for six official years, right? And I, yeah. first of all, Kola Kavod, Mazal Tov, this is like huge. I think the five-year mark is like, it's like a huge anniversary. I feel like you make it. And then six, it's like, you're really in this. Like, this is now just something that A, you're known for and B, it's, I, I really look to you as kind of someone who has so much knowledge in this space and you know, you're someone who I I take my my notes and you know I try to mirror what you do on here because 
the way that you interact with social media, you elevate the platform. And that's really what we're trying to do here with this podcast is to elevate what could be a seemingly mundane experience, right? But actually, and I've discussed this on other podcast episodes with this season, you're meeting your soulmate. There's nothing mundane about that. And even right. you know, if that ends up with you at the chuppah or just you discovering yourself more, there's nothing short of miraculous about that. And I think when we get into this day-to-day life, we forget that there are just open miracles happening. And our mental health being um, aligned with ourselves is one of them. And I think we need to kind of just shed light on that conversation more. So I'm so excited for you to kind of just be continue being a pillar of truth um, and bringing it now into this world of dating that um, I'm excited for us to journey on in this episode together. Yeah, I think it's it's something really, really important to discuss because I've found that when it comes to mental health and dating – People dealing with mental health struggles is suddenly like a red flag or like a, oh, maybe it's not, it's not a good idea or, you know, keep it hush hush. And I see many, many problems with that approach. Absolutely. And I've seen based on, you know, different situations with friends, with, you know, my own relationship, with family members, with all of that, that, you know, keeping things hush hush. And, and also not even being aware of where you're holding can actually, Mm. you know, make things that much worse in the relationship. Wow. I want to talk more about both points that you mentioned first with kind of the repercussions, right? That happen when you keep things quote unquote, hush, hush. I mean, there's the elements of like, well, you want to have, you want to create an open, honest relationship from the get-go. These are foundations that you're setting hopefully with your spouse, with the person you're, this is another individual, right? And you're, you're, you want to create that vulnerability with honesty. And I think when you keep things hush-hush, you're also bringing a little bit of shame to whatever it is that you're trying to keep hush-hush about. And I think there's so much shame um, regarding mental health, especially in the dating world, especially unfortunately in the Jewish world that it's like, kind of astounding to me that we're perpetuating this because I'm pretty sure mental health has existed from the dawn of time. This is not like a new phenomenon. It's a human experience. And I think Hashem really gave us the tools in which that we can, you know, know how to combat it, but we can't be each other's enemy in that. And by creating these red flags, like you described, we're only hindering each other from being able to show up authentically and really be ourselves, right? A hundred percent. I've been working on a project um, recently and, you know, kind of apropos, we're pre-Pesach, you know, all that. And in the Haggadah, it says that they were, you know, tortured. And one of the, one of the translations is that there wasn't only physical torture, there was psychological torture as well. And some of the psychological torture was that, you know, the women would be doing, you know, the backbreaking labor and the men would be assigned to do, you know, tasks that just made them crazy. And then on top of that, they were, you know, instructed to build Pitom and Ramses. So they were building, you know, pyramids on quicksand. So to every day have to work towards something and not see any accomplishment from that, but rather see that your work is completely futile is a means of psychological torture. So psychological distress, mental distress is nothing new in our history. You know, 
when we talk about, you know, Miguelis Russ, you know, Naomi's clearly in a depression. Yeah. And she decides, you know, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. My name is mm-hmm. now Mara. You know, we see David HaMelech going through a, a whole range of emotions in Tehillim. Plathara, we have all of Tehillim to attest to that. Yeah. I mean, even there's there's stories about, you know, Hashem making people actually clinically insane, whether yeah. it was, you know, one of the, you know, generals that they put, that God put like a bug in his brain and like, like he literally had brain damage or, you know, Shaul went psychotic. Yeah. And he had, and he had paranoia and he was, you know, chasing David HaMelech and couldn't accept the reality. You know, there's, you know, Eov, there's, there's so many examples that, you know, even when Rivka was expecting her sons, I believe she like said, you know, like, like, I wish I was dead. Like, this is, this is yeah so difficult. And then the Imaho struggling, you know what? Like, I can go on and on and on and on. It's there. But that's not it's the there. whole Think of the podcast, but it's just like the proof is in the Torah. Like we're not, and yet, you know, we see that that's part of human existence. And yet so often we as a community tend to strive for um, unrealistic perfection. Mm. Tell me about it. And because of that, we suffer tremendously and people suffer, whether it's while they're dating because they're open and honest, you know, when they get married or, you know, after they've had a few kids. And then it's like, where in the world did this come from? Mm -hmm. And it could have very well been something that was there, but was suppressed and not actually, you know, recognized and intervened. Like there was no intervention and there wasn't any, any help for that. So, I mean, I can like segue that into my own journey. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love for you to share whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm pretty open about this stuff, not because it's therapeutic for me or anything. It's not at all. Um, Imagine. It's it's, it's purely for the sake of letting people know they're not the only ones. That's kind of the MO. Um, Thank you for that. My page actually just started off as a modest fashion page. Been Um, there. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started. You know, as I'm doing that, I'm like checking my snap on my on my on my <laughs> laptop. You know, buying a laptop that I love, putting a snap on it because like that's the only way it's going to stay closed. Yep. Um, it it started off as that, but then once I realized, you know, before that, I wasn't sharing about my Lyme disease. I wasn't sharing about my depression, my anxiety, my history with both of those things, and I was having that while I was expecting my daughter. And I I started my page while I was pregnant. Um, and I didn't share any of that, but once I realized that it was just too dang difficult to try and raise a tiny human and take care of myself and wear, you know, perfect outfits, (laughs) then that's where things kind of shifted. Um, I do love the modest, uh, like fashion aspect, something I I still try to be like, Hey guys, remember me? Like, I also like this. Um, but that's not really, you know, what I'm, what I'm known for anymore, which is, which is great. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy with that whatever Hashem gives me. But I remember when I was, say, 18, 19. I don't know. I started dating when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately after seminary, not because it was just like a happenstance. You know, you go to your friend's house from seminary and her, you know, 20-something-year-old brother's there and like, you can't talk to him unless you're dating. So I'm like, mm-hmm. sure, what's dating? <laughs> so I kind of just fell into it um, and then did that, you know, aggressively. 
um, for four years. Um, wow. And thank God I found, you know, my husband after, you know, dozens of men. It was really Abbas Yisrael, Persian, Lubavitch, Ashkenaz, Sfar, Very on brand with from, you. not from, you know, <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, it, it was, I laugh about it now, but it was, it was really rough back then. But I remember calling my, um, Mechanachas from seminar. I used to call her every Friday. And at one point I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you need to let mentors go. If like you've moved past it, you know, mm-hmm. check in on them every few years, every few months, you know, next time you have a kid, you know, check in. But, um, <laughs> At that time, I really needed her, so I spoke to her every Friday. Um, That's and so special. I, you know, I very, you know, bashfully mentioned that I was getting on a very low dose of a of a of a medication. Oof, and trigger like, warning! Trigger warning! Right? Yeah, and I was so nervous about what she was going to say, and her response was, "You and the rest of the world." Hmm. I love this person. <laughs> yeah. No, her name is Mrs. Fold, and if you go to Sharfman's. Um, she's my love. She actually introduced me the month before COVID like hit the world. I was actually in Eretz Yisrael. It was like a mental health trip for me. It wasn't like a, oh, bears in Israel. But like, of course I'm going back to Sharfman's. I'm going to speak at Sharfman's. And like, she introduced me for the speech and I'm like, now all of you teachers get out because I feel like I'm 17 again and I need you all out of here. <laughs> so, and I did speak about mental health there and I spent, you know, a couple hours after speaking to a few of the girls, um, Wow. Who were there about different things because it resonated with them. And little did they know I was going through a lot. Um, But I digress. You know, I think it's important for you to speak to your mentors or, you know, people knowledgeable in mental health, maybe your therapist about, you know, if you're dating, if you're going through the shidduch system or if you're dating, you know, however you're dating, you know, when do you tell someone? Yeah. It's always a big question. And I think the answer, it's not a blanket statement. It's so no. personal to each person. Yes. Um, it really depends, I think. Yes. And I think that one of the things that it also depends on is how much of a grip do you have mm. on what's going on? Because the, if the answer is I'm really not handling it, then the answer might be then maybe you should take a break right now. Yeah. I was going to say like I think that that within itself is kind of a barometer to know kind of where you should be with your dating. Yeah. And it was something I was going to post to you because I feel like the world now is embracing mental health as in like, let's take a mental health day. Let's take a pause. Let's take a step back from things so I can take care of my mental health. And by all means, that's important, but I don't want it to get to a place where I have to completely remove myself or isolate myself. Sometimes instances will ask, will call for that. But how do right. we integrate different methods or different ways um, to show up in mental health without having to completely remove ourselves and create that boundary, right? We want to be right. integrated with our mental health. Right. I think it I think it really depends on whether you're, you know, having some mental distress mm-hmm. or if you have a mental illness. And those two things are very different. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody has a mental illness, perhaps the correct course of action is to get on um, medication while if somebody's having some mental distress, you know, a little retail therapy and a spa day, you know, for everybody else, like for everyone, it it really depends on what it is that you need. Sometimes a therapy session, like even last night, I, I started going to this art night. A friend of mine has an art studio and she's like, just pay me whatever. And you can use any of my supplies. That sounds amazing. Last week I was making some resin boxes and 
I was like so anxious at home last week. And I was like, that's it. I'm going. And like, I fell in love. And this week I'm like almost there. And then she's like, I have to cancel like family, whatever, you know, I'll see you next week. So I was on the phone with a friend of mine who I was like, can I pick you up? She's like, you didn't see that you canceled. I was like, but I'm not going home. I'm like, like, but I'm not going home. Like we're not doing that. So I picked her up. We went to Michael's. I bought a ton of paint. I remember that I had a couple of, we we had like a, I had a couple of uh, canvases at home. My husband just found them like that day. So I was like, here you go. So we came home to my house and we did a paint night. I was like, my kids are asleep. Your baby's right next door. Like you don't need to deal with that. Come to my house. And we just did a paint night instead. And how was it? How did you feel? It was amazing. I'm saying like, I'm not cured, but <laughs> but, but to it's, have it's, that kind of, you know, diffuse yeah, a situation it's a it's a and release. prioritize myself and not be like, oh, you know what? Like for me, self-care is not laying in bed and watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Self-care for me might be socializing one-on-one. It might be using my hands to create something or, you know, trying to connect or just like I used to paint furniture hmm, cool. because the constant strokes were almost like a meditation for me and it would like silence my mind. I have some really beautiful pieces to show for it. Like my kids, my kids' drawers, stunning. You know, I did my own drawers. We did a whole break from like awesome. in my living room, like definitely um, something important. But I think it, it, it really depends if you're, you know, in the middle of a mental health crisis or you are just extremely burnt out, even extremely just burnt out from dating to the point where you know that you're going to give, you know, your date the stink eye. Mm. The minute they open the door, like, honey, that's time for a break. Like, I remember yeah, like a rough, nice. I had a rough breakup at one point and I took like a six month break. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it wasn't like, I'm denying myself six months. I'm like, no, like, let's see how this goes. You and know, how were those six months for you? They were maintenance time. Mm-hmm. I needed it to catch up. I needed it to just get into a rhythm and be like, what in the world am I doing right now? Because sometimes, sometimes you can just get that check in. We need that check in. Yeah. And sometimes you're just living to get married, which yeah. is a huge mistake on my part. I'll, I'll say that I came, I did not go Shauna bet because I expected that I was going to get married. Wow. Was that a lot I, of pressure to put on yourself? Like a ton. Yeah. I, I could have imagine. done really well in, in a second year in seminary. Rabbi Sharfman would have loved it. I would have loved it. Um, you know, I skipped out on trips. Mm. What if the guy I'm dating right now is too from and hears that I'm going to go on this trip? Like I was, it was like a, one of these, these trips for like kids with, you know, chronic illnesses or terminal illnesses, you know, you know, that type. And I called my brother and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Maybe just cancel. My brother and I are very different, but we love (laughs) each other. Like he goes, if this guy doesn't want you to go help dying kids that is trash and disgusting and he's not going to marry you. I was like, okay. I like him. I like him. Yeah. Uh, very different. Ended up being very different people, but he he made a very good point. And then, you know, the summer before I met my husband, I was just like, you know what? Like, forget it. I want to do something fun. Mm-hmm. I went on a Europe trip. I staffed like a high school outreach Europe trip. So fun. 
And it was 2014, which means there was there were rockets in Israel at that time. Yeah. So we ended up staying in Europe the entire time. We're supposed to go to Greece and then we're supposed to go to Israel. No, 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 no. Greece, Italy, Croatia, Slovenia. We partied, you know? <laughs> and that. like, it's funny, like seeing now, seeing my, you know, campers now, you know, moving forward their lives, graduating with graduate degrees or getting married, some of them having kids. I'm like, do you remember you in high school, kid? Like, cute that you ended up with someone like that. Like, cute. I won't tell. Um, But I think, you know, giving myself that grace of just like, you know what, I'm going to live my life was a very important step for me because I was trying to, I took the you know, be who, be the type of person, the person you want to marry wants to marry yeah. a little too seriously mm-hmm. to like the nitty gritty and to like go help sick dying kids. You know, it was like, oh, I'm sorry if they're not okay that I like, I asked my, my Rebbe if I could not wear tights on the beach and he said it was okay. And like, oh, you your, know, by the way, you're tight, real change. I just, I felt really seen by that. Tight. Tights are just they're 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 it's not. not they're, it's not for me. But if it's for you, I'm so happy for you. If that helps your avodas Hashem, you know what I mean. Like you know, I did take on wearing tights as part of my avodas Hashem seminary. Really? Okay. Yeah, this is intense. Um, someone I I grew up with. He was significantly older than me, but mm-hmm. he was he was still single. He was probably like nine years older than me, something like okay. that. And I always thought he was waiting for me. Always thought he was waiting for me. It was my friend's cousin. I had the biggest crush on him. And like in seminary, I was like, okay, like he's still single because like obviously I'm going to come home. We're going to get married. Right. Um, and unfortunately, while I was in Israel, um, he was hit by a drunk driver. Oh, my gosh. And he passed away. And so- I was one of the first people to know because my brother was at the Hatzalah garage right where it happened, filling <sighs> up Hatzalah, you know, ambulances. And he didn't know what to do to help him. He, he died on impact. But then my brother resolved to become a full, you know, yeah, mass. Like now, he's actually he, he volunteers for Atzala frequently. He's like, oh, I've been slept. I've, I've been taking calls and whatever. And he has like three kids. Baruch Hashem. Um, so I was like, Oh my God, what am I gonna do? And I had all these kids from like NCSY calling me about how 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 sad they were. Now I, I like called their director, like, tell these children to it's leave me alone. <laughs> like this is not. I'm not their guy right now. I'm not their guy. So I. I, during the Hasbidim and everything, all the rabbis were saying, you know, you know, he, oh, he was trying so hard to become like a husband and like be the best person he could be, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to prepare myself to be a wife. My personality is extremely flirtatious and it's very good that I know this. Um, so I was like, I'm not covering my hair until I get married. So I need something uncomfortable and annoying to remind me that I need to behave in a way that's appropriate for someone who's looking to get married. So I started wearing tights. And then when to move to Vegas, after I've been married for about a year, I stopped wearing tights because it's not the minhag here yeah. and it gets very hot. But, you know, that, that was something I actually took on for myself and it serves me, it served me well during that time because I was able to conduct myself in a way um, that felt appropriate, you know, for That's myself. So I like, I have chills. I think that when you do something for the right reasons, um, it's just right for that. Even if it's right for that moment, it's just, that's what it's about, right? It's not about fitting into a, like a community. I mean, yes, mincha kamakom, I get it, but it's not about trying to use an externality to, you know, ex- 
explain how religious you are or like right. I'm better than you. It's not that type of a metric. It's such – it's really just like between you and Hashem, period. Yeah. Done. Yeah, no. I was the one wearing the tights with the denim skirts when denim was still like trafe. You know, <laughs> my knees were fully covered, but it was like, oh, she wears denims, not the tape. Um, but that that wasn't really so much my problem. It was like, you know, my, my I spoke to my rabbi about when I should tell, you know, because for myself at that point, my anxiety was was really handled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Little did we know. But, you know, my anxiety at that time was really handled. I was in a, on, on like a I'm actually on the same medication now that I was then. So props to it working. Wipe up. No, like, I never do. I never give recommendations. I'm like, if people treated mental illness, like whatever, like swipe up for my top five, like narcotic recommendations or like seven for my five antidepressants. Um, but I was told the third date for me and I was through the shit off system. And I remember telling, you know, my now husband, um, on our third date. And then I planned our timeline when we we're going to get engaged and married. I was like, you're fine with that. Okay. And then I freaked out. And then I was like, I need some space. So he thought I was breaking up with him. And then he actually gave me space, which was something no man had ever given me before wow. that I dated. And I was like, I don't need space. He's like, now I need space. Like, you you can't do that. I thought you were dumping me. So we ended up keeping to that schedule and, you know, super that. fun. But we didn't know, you know, that I was going to have Lyme disease. Right. You know, I, I probably had the Lyme in my body. But it, I think the stress of the engagement and getting married and whatever kind of, you know, kicked all my infections into high gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to deal with that. And then that also impacted, you know, my mental health. So I had some pretty tough bouts of anxiety, depression, and, you know, overall, you know, pain, fatigue, chronic illness type of yeah. stuff throughout our marriage. Wow. And like, I'm thankful that we at least had a warning, but also very important to note that like, nothing was magically solved. Like my husband and I are very open about the fact that we are currently in marriage counseling mm-hmm. because, you know, my physical illness really took a toll on our relationship. You know, having yeah, the, you know, spouse be the caregiver dynamic was really not good for either of us. And then my husband never felt like he could say, you know, like, I really don't want to do this. Like, you know, and then it gets to a point where, where it gets resentful. Yeah, of and course. then it was, and then I was like, "Oh wait, like I really need to work on X, Y, and Z." So we both are working on our own stuff separately. Mm-hmm. But at, like, and there's stuff that he didn't realize needed to be worked on until you know someone a year ago, right? And because everything was focused on me, so that's like it's important to realize. And and in my opinion, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I have X, Y, and Z, and I'm currently doing X, like ABC to help, you know, with it, and I'm in a, and I'm in a good place, you're already ahead of the game. Yeah. I the ownership friend, and, yeah. and the, I think the ability to express it says so much about the individual. Yeah. Um, just the way that someone can carry it, the way you express it, the way you talk about it. It's just, that's like, you know, that you read in between the lines with that. And I think that's very important. Um, yeah. And I think that there's, I mean, I just, I know like I, even with me, like there's a fear. It's just like, you don't want to get, you know, that label because right. it's, it's just like you're, you're, you forget the bigger picture and you forget that Hashem's behind everything because you're so focused on the inner workings of just like getting married. Right. 
And I think that fear needs to kind of just be taken with like a deep breath and realize there's also a bigger picture here. Like this is a bigger issue and there's so many people that are being affected that don't have the voice. So those of us like you and I who maybe feel a little bit more able to be vulnerable and outspoken in that sense, like it's it's kind of a responsibility we have. So I feel very yeah. strongly about that. It's super important to be, you know, open, transparent and have that ability to communicate that hopefully with the person you will be dating and kind of remembering like no one can um like no one can hinder you from what's destined from you for you right, right. And I also think that people need to be very well aware of what possibly might be um, somewhat genetic from mm-hmm. their own families to do their due diligence. If, you know, someone comes from a family of, you know, alcoholics, mm-hmm. they need to know that in their relationships, they can't drink yeah. or need to have, you know, a limit set and communicate that to the person that they're dating. If they say, oh, you want to go to a bar? It's like, you know what? you know, I don't, I don't touch the stuff, you know, thank you. Or, you know, whether someone says, you know, I can do X, Y, and Z, you know, I know that I am very, I already knew before I got pregnant, I told my husband, like, I will put money down that I will get postpartum depression. I was like, and if I refuse to go to the doctor, you grab me by my hair and you drag me there. (laughs) You make it happen. Turns out it happened early while I was already like, while I was still pregnant with both of my kids. Oh, wow. But at least I knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, babe, we need help. Like, let's go. Like, take yeah. me now. Um, and I was able to get help so that, you know, what by the time, you know, both my children, you know, came into the world, I was capable of loving them, which is something very real that, mm. you know, people don't realize. And it's not because you're crazy. It's because your hormones are imbalanced. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who she had her child and they had to like pull her away during her son's breast because she was having psychosis that her son was Mashiach and they couldn't touch him. Oh, wow. Wow. Like it's, but she's, she's, she is a fully functioning person right no, now. But like it's, it's just like, it's, it's not, it's normal. It's literally an imbalance that happens within our body. Like our yes. body's doing an incredible thing. It's literally creating space, helping another human come to the world. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, like different levels of everything in your body. And no one talks about it enough. Like, thank you for just talking about it. Because I think as women who please God, like if you want to have a child, know what your body's going to go through. Kind of like you said, have the expectation and be open to it. So you're not thinking, oh my gosh, is it just me? And it's not. And it's very important for, you know, a man to be self-aware. Um, when it comes to these things, say if they have some sort of addiction, mm-hmm. um, I have a friend who was married to someone who hid their addiction. Um, and unfortunately it, you know, she tried to work through it. And after, you know, a lot of time and trying to work through it, it just, they were not getting anywhere. So the marriage ended, wow. you know, yeah. and then there are, you know, there are, there's so, there's so much help right now for women who are victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault. Yeah. There are much less when it comes to men. Yeah. And it does not make a man defective. It doesn't make him 
unsuitable, but it means that that person needs to have potentially a therapist or yeah. have gone through some sort of trauma therapy or- The right avenues to heal. The right avenues the right. to heal. If somebody is on an avenue to heal, that's already an indication that that person is going to put in the work when something hard happens. I know plenty of people who something hard happens and they completely collapsed and every they and everyone around them are just miserable because they, they never had the fortitude to like yeah. face it and to have- the grit and determination to work on something so challenging and to have that self-awareness to begin with is a huge, huge thing, like a personality trait Yeah, it is. that I think someone should be looking for. Not that they need to look for someone who's quote unquote broken and fixing themselves. But, you know, if some things are too good to be true, look at things. Yeah. There have been plenty of guys, unfortunately, a guy that I dated who, thank God, I I have plenty of people that were very concerning that I dated. Um, he was just arrested for alleged um, abuse against his adult clients, female adult clients. And then uh, another guy I dated, I got an anonymous call to run. This is a guy I was very serious with and I didn't understand I didn't it. And I was that. like, I was like, that's probably just someone who doesn't like him. And I found out it was the Rosh Yeshiva of a very big yeshiva who called me. Um, so I missed a lot of red flags because of where I was holding emotionally. Hmm. And that's why it's also very important to work on yourself for your own self-awareness and yeah. knowing your value because I did not know mine. I'm still working on it, believe it or not. Um, my insecurities are still, you know, they're there, not as strong, but you know, it's a life, still exist. life work, I think. Yeah. But, you know, being aware of your value and who you are and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and what you're doing to become the best version of yourself, that'll help you look through a different lens. Like had I been in the place that I, mental place that I am right now about who I am what things in my life made me really struggle, mm -hmm. then like now I can see things so clearly of, wow, mm. that was really manipulative. And oh, the way he did that, like that's concerning. Yeah. It changes the whole lens in which you're seeing things because it is a projection in a sense of where you are holding with yourself, right? Because things will get distorted based on yes. your own, you know, assessment of your self-worth and self-value. It really, it, it's, it's kind of like a kaleidoscope. It really distorts it. It's kind of crazy because I've definitely seen changes within myself just from also like the people that were suggested to me what, before I was doing the right work. I, I find that like, yeah, you can do a lot of work on yourself, but is it the right work on yourself? Like, you know, when it finally clicks and it's, it's honestly like Minashamayim when it aligns, when you find the right therapy, the right therapist, the right way in which to deal with your, your, your lot. Cause we all have that. Right. And it's just kind of yeah. figuring out what the tools are, um, that are going to help you. And I think the tool set kind of evolves throughout life. And sometimes you have to bring in different, you know, skills that maybe didn't serve you at one point in your life, but now they do and it changes. Um, right. and I think being open to that change and not resistant allows that lens to get more 
clear and focused. And I think it's a way of also not taking things, it's not taking things so personally, right? You're kind of able to see things as they are without necessarily bringing your, I don't want to say baggage because that has like a negative connotation, but without we bringing all have baggage. your- Yeah, of course. But Our without- packages. Bring, yeah, without bringing your packages into it immediately, just kind of right. seeing something as it is, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really hard to do with dating because the minute, I mean, especially in dating, the minute you're sitting in front of a guy, you're already imagining if he could be like the like the father of your children, like whether or not like you realize it or subconsciously, like you're you're trying right. to assess this person. So it's so hard to take something without connecting it to yourself, right? Right. One of the things I was very lucky with with my husband was that I was able to meet him. It was arranged. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to meet him within a social context. Mm, that is, we were at great. we were at Rabbi Benzion Klatsko's house in Muncie. Cool. He, um, my husband was living in his house at the time and building his websites. And <laughs> Rabbi Klatsko met me at a wedding, and a few months before I was supposed to go, and he's like, "What do you think about her for Shmuel?" So like. As those months went on, I ended up finding out everything about this guy through Hashem just sending me people who knew him. Mm-hmm. And then this guy, Shmuel, had no idea about anything about me. And they were just like, oh, I found your wife. And he's like, last time you found my wife, it didn't work out. Like the last <laughs> person he went on a date with, it's like your wife. He's like, I don't know, maybe in two years after she like learns how to read off base, but like we're not there. You know, like right. she just decided that she maybe wants to learn about Shabbos, dude. Like, like she's still a work in progress, and I'm yeah. So already. we were both very um, not optimistic about it. We were just like, whatever. Like we're meeting anyway. And I remember the Tuesday before, um, I had a very, very um, frank conversation with God because I had a date with a guy who pursued me for a number of months. Okay. Over half a year. Let's just say that. And I finally was like, fine. Someone someone who I later realized was not the right person to guide me said, you know, your reasons are not, you know, necessarily the the reasons that are, you know, important. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go out with him. It was the worst date ever. It was the worst date ever. And then I called someone and told them about it. And they were like, you know what? You just need to stop being so picky. So I was crying in my basement. And I was like, Hashem, Fine. You don't want to get married. Fine. Fine. I'm done. I'm tired. Uh, apparently, I'm on a high horse. So let me just hang out with the horse. I'm done. Like, we're, I'm tapping out. Fine. Um, and then while I was on the phone with my other friend who was like, oh my God, he said that I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill her, whoever that was. I'm going to kill them. Worst. Good friend. Everything. You know, like you're you're a hype girl. And I was like, yeah. this rabbi just texted me if I would like meet this guy on Chavez and if I was available. She's like, can't hurt. I was like, yes, it can. <laughs> then I was like, he probably already knows. And like, we're just going to be there. So like, sure. You know, turns out it's my husband. But wow. I was able to meet him with 120 people around us. I saw him with his rabbi. I saw him with his rabbi's kids. I saw him with strangers. Oh, that is such a gift. And then I was being like super sweet and nice and talking to him. And then I'm like, hold on, the rabbi wants me to do something. And I got up in front of these said 120 people and did a Dvar Torah in English in a Russian accent because <laughs> they were Russian Americans there. And then Hebrew in a French accent because there were French Israelis there. So I was going sound? back and forth. And then I'm like, <laughs> cool, he's going to say no now. And he was like, that was awesome. And 
on the size four and three quarters. I love that. I love well, that. Actually, it didn't stop there. He, uh, what I noticed was after Shabbos, it was snowing. We were stuck in a snowstorm and like, yes, I borrowed his car and I crashed into a cop car on the highway on the way home after our first date. But that's not the, whatever. That's not what I noticed. What I noticed was that he uh, was shoveling his rabbi's stairs. Well, And I was like, he's giving and protective of the people he cares about. He cares about his rabbi. He cares about his rabbi's kids. That was one of my non-negotiables. I had three non-negotiables. I only remember two. One was mindfully observant. They need to know why they're doing the things that they're doing. Ooh, that is such a – that I, I'm going to – yeah, that really mindfully. That was – Yeah, because I had guys where I'm like, why do you learn? And they're like, uh. I'm like, if you took two seconds to answer that question. I'm going to take two seconds to exit now the date. Thank you very much. No, it's just like then if you're doing it because mommy and Tati said so, like I wasn't particularly looking to date learning guys. Mm-hmm. But like if a guy seemed like it was, you know, matched up, then I would. Right. Um, and I didn't know that, you know, marrying a guy who builds websites and does marketing was going to work out so well for me. But my husband really needed someone who was okay with the fact that he was an entrepreneur and not an accountant or a lawyer mm-hmm. or someone with a stable job. And I was like, oh, I think it's awesome. And his rabbi's like, I just want to let you know, like, this is something that's very important to him. So if it's something that you don't value, it's not going to work out. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. And he was like, okay, great. You you, you can go ahead and hang out with your friends now. <laughs> can I tell a quick, funny story? Please. Always. Very quick. Okay. So the week – same week that I had my mental breakdown of like, I'm just going to hang out with my horse because I'm, I'm, I'm apparently too high to, to date these peasants. Um, <laughs> my husband was discussing, either discussing or having conversations with Hashem about, you know, he wanted it to just be clear. My husband never got past a second date. Never. Yeah. I think it was just because he was like intense and like he knew what he wanted and he was driven and he was I think like, we have that in common, your yeah. husband and I. I haven't gotten past like a second, third date either. Well, because you know what you want and you know who you are. And for some yeah. people that's like, whoa, like one of the girls who was at that shop was with me. And when I got engaged, she was like, he was so sweet and he was so great, but like, I just couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it, honey. I get it. You know, like on our third date, he gave me like the five love languages because he thought I would be interested in it. And I'm like, no wonder nobody went out with you after a second date. But I think that's, okay. I get Oh it. no, it was a second date. I was like, no wonder nobody goes out with you after, but I loved it. And I mm-hmm. read it. And then on the next date, which was his first third date, you know, we discussed it. I love that. Okay. I got to find me my Barry, you know? Yes. Well, it was really, yeah. Yeah. I was like chill with it. Um, but you, but, but you're, you're schmootastic. Um, so basically he was like, I wish it would just be so clear, like with Eliezer and Rifka and, you know, yeah. the story about the camels and everything. Fine, 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 fine. Shabbos, Shmuel and I are schmoozing in the kitchen because the meal's happening. It's very loud in the dining room. Obviously, there's 120 people, and one of the rabbis from Rage, like the organization I was volunteering for and, and I was there with, you know, it's funny now because people that I know from there is the owner of the Parallel, Dirama, yeah. like Rukhama, I think, was there that job. It's like, it, it was chill. It was chill. It's, it's the world you're in. It's yeah. awesome. So basically, um, the rabbi came in and he was like, Barry, do you mind, you know, filling up this picture? And me, I was just like, sure, rabbi, enough for you and your camels. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, why did I say that? And like, little did I know my husband was, was like panicking. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm sorry, that was dumb. Can we pretend like that didn't happen? And he's well, like, uh, uh, I'm so glad it happened, but um, 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 what <laughs> so do I he do didn't that? tell me until, you know, 
after we got engaged. And the fact is, is like, I started preparing for the guy I was going to marry, you know, years before, um, three years before. Yeah. I did it for four years, three years before I called my Rabbanit, my Rabbanit in Israel, who doesn't speak a word of English. Oh my God. And I was like, I need a match. I'm like so tired. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And she's like, Berry, Berry. She gave me a whole, whole thing about how the women, when they were leaving Egypt, made tambourines to thank Hashem. She goes, Matupim Shelach Berry. Like, what are your, what are your tambourines? I'm like, I don't know, woman. So I looked on this website called The Hassan's Place. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I looked on this, The Hassan's Place. And I'm like, what, what can this? I get? So I ordered this. Stender, like a small stender, nothing crazy, like plated. Because I was like, this is something that like if he learns at home or like he wants to bring to shul, just like something because this is also a reflection of what I value. Right. And like as I was dating, I would be like, you know, is this something this guy would appreciate? Even if it means like reading like a a rabbi book, like not even a gemara, not even whatever, like whatever he was up to. I knew that I wasn't going to be my husband's mashkiach. I wasn't going to be in charge of, you know, his learning and his everything. You know, there were times that my husband was not going to Minyan because he needed to help me because I was ill. And then there are times where he has an hour and a half chavrus every day. You know, like yeah. it really... You trust him also. Flows. Like let him, let him be in charge of that, you know? Yeah. So I was like, is this something he might appreciate in some way, shape or form? And the night we got engaged, I was like, oh, I have something for you. And like it was sitting in my closet in a box and like I hid it in my closet. Take the dust. Put off. away my clothes. And she'd be like, what's in the box? I'm like, none of your business. Why do you sell this box? None of your business. You need me to throw out the box. Don't throw out the box. It's still none of your business. And then I, you know, I didn't tell anyone about it. And I brought it downstairs and I like yanked out the um the, the packing slip because it had the price on it. And I saw that it was three years to the day before our first date. Unreal. And three years before, had I dated him, I would not have been in the right place. Like there was so much growth that I needed to do. And little did I know that there was so much more growth I needed to do. And I still know that there's growth that I need to do. There's still, you know, since then I've done so much, you know, physical therapy on my body, you know, post Lyme, you know, medical things, blood tests, you know, getting on and off different types of medication to see what works, you know, adjusting birth control, because that can also really impact your mental health. Absolutely. Um, finding what works for you while also dealing with Taras Mishpacha. I have PCOS. I have like, we've had our fair share, but like, mm-hmm. I've also had nine months of intensive trauma therapy. I've also had, you know, one-on-one counseling. We've had marriage counseling. I also got into energy healing. That was like sort of my jam. And then I also got into just doing yoga with a friend of mine, you know, or making a random paint night with 10 bucks of paint from, from Michael's because I realized that that's what I need. You know, we're always going to be a work in progress, but if we don't know how we're contributing to different cycles and patterns and relationships and how our struggles can, you know, impact our potential spouse, our current spouse, you know, our spouse to be, whatever it is there's a lot of self-awareness that needs to be involved. And that's not something that I knew when I went into dating. Like I said, I fell into dating right? and I was just like, wait, what's dating. And then like, we were a bunch of dates in and he's like, what are you going to tell your friends? I'm like, tell my friends what? And I was like, Oh my God, like, I'm not ready for this. Like, this is not whatever. Like Baruch Hashem, we're both married to different people and it never would have worked out, you know? And like, 
I look back and I also think, you know what? It might have worked out with those other people had I been in this, this, and that. But Hashem found me the right person at the right time. Yeah. And we're both imperfect and we're both doing our best to try not to take that trauma and the struggles that we've had and pass them along. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really important of Oda and having, having the, the opportunity and the blessing to have our two smush faces is, you know, very healing and also shows us, you know, what we need to work on and what we're trying not to pass on. Like my daughter yeah. has, I'm like trying to make sure she doesn't have people pleasing tendencies like I did. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Like she climbed onto me and gave me a huge hug one day and she knows that that's my favorite. And I go, yes. Did you do that because you know that Ima likes it or did you do it because you wanted to? She's so like, good I wanted to. to. I'm like, that's all so good. good. That's so good. I wouldn't even think that's such, again, an awareness, right? Yeah. To be like, huh. Yeah. And if sometimes she says, you know, I did that because I wanted to make you happy. I'm like, but did that make you uncomfortable? Mm. And like, sometimes if you're tired, the answer is no. And when you say no, I'm still going to be just as proud as you as, uh, as yeah, when I love you, you say just yes. As much, right. So it's like very important for them. And it's, you know, it teaches us and it kind of like reminds me of different things from my childhood, things I need to work on. And I know that I'm, I'm going to do my best not to pressure my kids to rush into getting married. Because Amazing. had I spent the time working on myself and doing things that made me happy, I probably would have been much better off and would have, you know, been much further along. You know, it turns out I had to wait four years for him anyway. And he right. wouldn't have cared if I went on, you know, the trip for sick dying kids. And he thought it was cool that I went, you know, Europe tripping to Europe. And then the pace up before we got engaged, I went to Puerto Rico and like I staffed a program there. And he was like, how is it? I'm like, I'm hiding in a, in a little, uh, what are those called? Hammock. Cause people are just going to find me and complain to me. And I just, I'm tired. I just, need a I just need a minute. And I just remember him being like, are you sure? Like, can you go and like check what your ring size is? I was like, are you on your way to get the ring? He's like, maybe I'm like, there's nowhere in Puerto Rico that I'm going to right now. But like, just trust me. Turns out later on, I got my ring resized and re um, set. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't like white gold. And my husband's like, my husband wasn't like, Oh, so you like the ring on you? He was like, Great. Okay. Get something that reflects you more. I'm a yellow gold girl as well. Yes. So I get it. I, I'm i just so like in awe of you, honestly, just like the ability you have to just be so yourself. Like I feel it. And I haven't I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet in person, but I just feel it. And I, soon, I know – I mean, and I know it comes across in this podcast and it's just such a breath of fresh air. And I know it's because you've also just – it's it's experience also you've been dealt your you know your cards and we all have but the way that you've you know been able to rise from that ex- those experiences really is a testament not only to you to your husband and just also i think your values so i i'm i'm just like amazed by it and thank you it's empowering to hear that um because it is it, it's daring and it, it it takes a lot of bravery right to kind of do these right decisions that you know are right but you might receive fallback from your community or, you know, all those things that kind of cloud our judgment, right? Those external voices. And it's just at the end of the day, and I think this is something that I just really like to bring back on every episode, is to remember really who's boss and just remember your mission statement. And I, I think that's what I tell myself also, like, okay, yeah, like, 
you know, I wear red and like little, these little things that like, okay, for some guys that doesn't work for them, but it's great because Hashem's just clearing it out. And I think again, the awareness that you bring and the awareness that you were discussing, it's just, you know, there was the plague of darkness. That was what, that was the darkness is not just the physical darkness that we started talking about. It was also the dark, you know, the intangible darkness. And I think that would literally paralyze them, but can figuratively paralyze you. Exactly. And when we can make the right choices that bring the light a little bit closer to us, we just have to keep going towards that light. And so Barry, thank you so much for this experience. I, I, I'm so grateful that you've, you've come on the podcast today. Well, I, I just hope it was coherent. I know I, I speak fast and I speak a lot. Um, Wouldn't but, have any other way. But I'm I'm so glad that we did this. And um, I hope to hear of, you know, more people finding this podcast, getting inspiration from it, and really, you know, preparing their own, you know, metaphorical tambourines by doing mm-hmm. doing the inner work. Amen. And before we go, um, I have a practice on the show where I like to give my guests space to kind of sit with something. It doesn't have to be anything that pertains to this episode. It could just be something that came up right before we recorded or just something that you want to give space to and just kind of vocalize it, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, I just find that we're so much like in the mechanics of a routine sometimes and we need to just give ourselves a minute to sit with things. So Barry, what are you sitting with today? I think it's important to uh, allow yourself the discomfort of mm-hmm. either being alone or being with your thoughts. Oof. Something that can be very challenging, particularly when some of your thoughts are, you know, intrusive. And I'm not speaking of the ones that are, you know, dangerous, but rather the ones that are really trying to tell us something mm. about ourselves. Um, let us know what's going on. And, and sometimes, you know, if we really allow that space, our subconscious will bring it to us. And if we don't, our body will. Oh, our bodies will. Queen of psychosomatic over here. Yeah. Um, I have different ligaments that um, are connected to different people in my life. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm like, oh, I have so-and-so pains right now. <laughs> Oh, literally, right arm, you know. Thank God for Louise Hay and then like Anatomy of the Soul. I the minute something starts hurting, I pop it open and I'm like, I know exactly what I need to be doing now. Which again, having that ability to kind of know like what ligaments are associated with different things, it just again not only normalizes what your ex- experience is, but there is such a connection between our body and our neshama, our soul, right. and and being in a place where you have that opportunity to be with yourself. Mm. You know, as life goes along, whether, you know, you find a partner or you get swamped with a job or, you know, you have children, like those opportunities become more few and far between. So if you have that opportunity to comfortably get a bit uncomfortable with yourself, Mm. the payoff for that will be seen, you know, as you move forward in your life in so many different aspects. And, and that's something that I, I didn't take advantage of as much as I should have, um, which I try to do now in quiet moments, you know, yeah. that I have, that's the benefit of working from home and working for myself, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. May we all just, you know, find the quiet moments, create space for the quiet moments, like you said, and 
um, have the courage to really sit with them. Yeah. Thank sit you. Sit with Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening.